10% that are good. And do you know what that letter said? Anybody? Well, I guess you didn't get one either, amen? <laughs> Too late, Charles. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Listen, when, when our kids... <laughs> When our kids act like our parents, we sometimes use the phrase, the saying that says, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, sometimes that can be real good, amen, but sometimes that can be real bad. If the tree has a good work ethic, if the tree uh, spends money responsibly, if the tree is morally found, uh, has moral foundation, if the tree has a sound relationship with God, with God, then it's likely the apples will too. However, if we have all these wonderful attributes of Christians, but we refuse to teach them to our children, then listen carefully, the Christian faith is just one generation away from being extinct. If we don't teach Christianity to our children, we're one generation away from being extinct. And I'm afraid that the church has raised up a generation of adults that are, for the most part, uninterested in the children of the next generation. But on the other hand, I believe with all my heart that every single Christian is both called and commanded, yes, to lead our own children into a relationship with the Lord, but I also believe that we are called and commanded to lead the children of our community into a relationship with the Lord. I mean, think about it. That's the reason we're still here. It's because God has got work for us to do for the next generation. If we neglect this calling, if we rebel against God and His command, then He might as well just go ahead and judge the world. Because we're not doing anything for the next generation. Today, we're going to read about a short discussion between Jesus and one of His disciples named Philip. Now, I want you to listen carefully about some things that we must teach the next generation. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, uh, listen carefully. I'm going to begin in, uh, I'll begin in verse 6, where Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and you've seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you still don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. Did you hear that? If you heard that, say amen. The works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my Father's name, or in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. First, let's take a look at the request of this learner. There in verse 7, Philip, said, or Philip had been, was inquiring, and Jesus replied, If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on you know him, and you have seen him. See, there's a whole lot of times that Jesus spoke to his disciples about his Father. For three years, Jesus had been the perfect revelation of his Father to the disciples. They should have known him. But what does it mean, really, to know the Father? Well, according to John, there are four different levels of knowing. Okay? The first level, the lowest level, is simply knowing a fact. Okay? We all know a lot of facts. You can know a fact about the Father. Now, there is a next level that is called understanding the truth behind the fact. Amen? You can understand that the Father is, and you can even understand a little bit behind that fact. But I think you would agree with me that you can know the fact and even know the truth behind the fact and still be lost as a goose. Amen? All right? So it's going to take a deeper level of knowing. That brings us to the third level. The third level of knowing is this, a relationship. The third level introduces a relationship. To know on this level means to believe in a person, to become related to a person, kind of like being married. When a husband and wife come together, they now become related, and they now become to believe in one another, amen? But also trusting in Christ as your Savior introduces this relationship. Now, I couldn't pass up on this one speaking about marriage because someone asked some kids about marriage, and whenever you ask kids about anything, you never know what you're going to get, amen? Here's the question. How do you decide who you're going to marry? Alan, age 10, said, well, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff as you do. Like if you like sports, for instance, your wife should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> Apples don't far, fall far from the tree, amen? Listen to what Christian, age 10, said. No person really decides who they marry. God decides way before. She said, you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Amen? Here's another question. How can a stranger know if two people are married? Well, Derek, age eight, said, they're married if they're yelling at the same kids. <laughs> what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Well, Lori, age eight, said, both don't want any more kids. And my all-time favorite is this. How do you make marriage work? And Ricky, age 10, said, 
tell your wife looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> so you can know a fact. You can know the truth behind the fact. You can even have this relationship, but there's a fourth level of knowing. A fourth level of knowing. And that describes this striving for a deeper union. That describes the Christian. Amen? We understand God the Father. We understand that He sent Jesus Christ. We come into a relationship with Him by asking for forgiveness of our, our sins. But then after we become saved, we begin to strive for this deeper union. My question is for you this morning is, are you striving? Are you striving for a deeper union with the Lord Jesus? Well, how do I know, Bill? Well, it probably it comes about with how you are living out your faith. I'm afraid that many Christians are actually neglecting their relationship by refusing to know him in what we call an experiential way. What does that mean? Well, there's a whole lot of people that know a lot about Jesus, but they never experience his power in their life as they live. There are many people who read about him in the Bible, but they never sacrifice for Jesus in their real life, thereby they never really know him. You may hear a whole lot about Jesus as I preach him in sermons, but if you never apply what you've learned, then I'm telling you, you'll never come to know Jesus the way he wants you to know him. That's that striving for a deeper union. And it's my belief that by serving the next generation, we begin to experience the power of God in our own lives. Jesus wants us to be apples that don't fall far from the tree. But he also wants us to raise up apples that don't fall far from the tree. So that being said, now let's go and take a look at the reply of the Lord. Look there in verse 9. Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long, yet you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus is basically saying to Philip here, What do you mean, Philip? Show us God. What do you mean, show us the Father? You know what the Father's like. Because you know what I'm like. Jesus said, you can hear the Father in everything I speak. He said, you can see the Father in everything I do. He said, you can know the Father. Why? Because you know the Son. The Father is in me and I am in him. Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in him. Who else could have healed the crippled? Who else could have given sight to the blind? 
Who else could have fed the hungry? Who else could have raised the dead? No one other than God. God. And friends, I'm telling you that I believe we're commanded to continue to grow in our understanding that Jesus is God. So many times we don't understand that. So many times we don't teach that. That Jesus is God. He is the Son and He is God. Just look at verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the works themselves. Believe me. So it's very important, friend, that we continue to grow in our understanding of that. And the reason I believe we're commended to grow in that is because if you're anything like me, I'm very inclined to doubt. I'm also very inclined to or get quick to, to get discouraged. And so we must continually remind ourselves that Jesus is God and he's our Lord. He's got this. But what does it take to know him? What does it take to truly know God? Well, to, to illustrate, I want to talk to you a little bit about water. Water is chemically known as H2O. But if you put two parts of hydrogen with one part of oxygen together, there will not be any reaction. If you take two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen and you put those two together only, there will not be any water. But if you take just a very small amount of platinum, platinum, and you mix it in the mixture, then things begin to happen very rapidly. The hydrogen and the oxygen begin to unite. A chemical change occurs and it becomes called H2O. You see, platinum is the catalyst that brings those two together. And just like platinum is the catalyst that brings water together, faith is the catalyst that brings us together to do what we're called to do. And I just want you to know that you've got to have faith. Faith must be present so that you can walk with the Lord. If you don't have faith, you will not experience what God wants you to experience in your life. Furthermore, we will not experience any progress with the next generation. I've seen it over and over and over again. A church full of people shouting out, we've got faith. But then when it comes to sowing into the lives of the next generation, there's nobody doing it. Why? Because in all reality, there's not much faith there. There's no catalyst there to bring faith and works together. So I believe that we have to completely rely on the Word of God. I believe that we must continually be confident that God's going to do a mighty work in us and through us if we will only have the faith to take a step and be used by the hand of God. If we want the next generation to be transformed for the glory of God, if you want your children to be a part of a world that's transformed for the glory of God, then you better teach other kids the Bible. We all had better teach other kids faith. We better all teach other kids uh, to pray. 
we all better be teaching other kids to attend church and to do it better than we do. Am I speaking truth? If you follow that formula, if we will follow that formula, then spiritual change will occur and the apple won't fall far from the tree. So we heard a request by the learner and we heard the reply from the Lord. But now let's hear the results, amen, the results for your life. Look in verse 12. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, you can almost put a period there, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. And greater works, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Now, Jesus is saying here, hey church, listen up. He's saying, all right, you Christians who have gathered here on Sunday morning, pay attention to this. Got something important to say. Whatever you do, don't miss this message. If you believe in me, there will be three great results in your life. If you believe in me, there will be three great results in your life. First, you'll have a faith that produces great works. Jesus said, the one who truly believes in me will do what I've done. In fact, he'll do even greater works that I've done. Now, before you get all excited about walking on water and turning water into wine and all those wonderful things, you need to know what kind of works you're going to be doing and that those works won't be greater in quantity Instead, they'll be greater in scope and in quantity, okay? Jesus rarely went beyond the borders of Palestine. That's pretty much where his ministry was. But then the apostles, they went everywhere preaching the word of God and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were saved and giving glory to God in heaven. I mean, think about it. The fact that ordinary people like me and you could be used for the glory of God. I mean, I am so unworthy to be even used by the hand of God. But yet God wants to use us to perform these works. And when he does, when he takes an unworthy vessel, an unworthy tool, and he uses them for the glory of God, then that's a much greater work. Amen? When he does something through me, I realize, man, you've done something, God. Amen? So it's a, a, a quantity and scope. You see, friend, listen to this. Faith and works must go together. Faith and works always go together. If there's real faith, guess what else there will be? Works. I'm not telling you that's how you're saved because it's not. But when you have faith in the Lord Jesus, works will follow. It's important that we realize that faith releases the power of God into our life. See, it's a miracle to open a blind man's eyes. But it's a greater miracle to open the eyes of one who is so sin-blinded that they can't even go to heaven. I mean, it's a miracle, friend, to cleanse a man who has the disease of leprosy. 
But it's a greater miracle to change a sin-stained wretch so that he's pure in heart, living for the Lord. It's a miracle to make a deaf man hear, but it's a greater miracle to speak to that person so that that deaf person hears the gospel and they heed its message. It's a miracle to raise somebody from the dead. Would you agree with that? It's a miracle to raise somebody from the dead. But it's a greater miracle to lead somebody who's dead in their sin into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they get to go to heaven. And God uses us. Uses us for these greater miracles. So the first result of your faith is great works. It's a byproduct of your faith. If your faith is real, the works are coming. But there's also another result, and that is if you have faith, the faith will produce powerful prayers. Look there in verse 13. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, man, I start licking my chops when I hear that. Amen. I start thinking of my empty bank account. I start thinking about the empty cupboards. I start thinking about that 12-year-old Forenza out there. And I start thinking about other stuff that I want. Amen. But we know that the condition of power uh, in these prayers is in the name of Jesus. And Jesus did not give us some magic formula so that I can get what I want. Amen. He didn't say, hey, if you'll just insert my name at the end of your prayer, you got it, baby. He didn't say that. That doesn't mean that all my requests are going to be granted. I promise you that. But let me tell you what it does mean. Here's what it does mean. To ask anything of God in the name of Jesus means that you would ask what Jesus would ask. It means if you say in Jesus' name, it means that you're asking what would please the Father. If you're asking in Jesus' name, it means you're asking something that would bring him glory. It means that you would ask something that would further his kingdom work. You see, asking in the name of Jesus is never selfish. It's always about the nature of God. It's always about the will of God. And it's always about the kingdom of God. What is best for the kingdom of God? Think about this. Maybe you've done this before. Has anybody ever gone to a job interview and uh, dropped somebody's name? Done some name dropping? Uh, Brother Tim used to be an HR, or is an HR manager. You ain't never had somebody drop a name before, have you, brother? Never. I've done it all the time. Amen. I mean, you do some name dropping, baby, and you might be a shoe-in for the job, right? Well, think about this. If a friend says, hey, man, just tell them you know me. Just use my name. He's handing you a great privilege. He's saying, man, you're going to get this job if you tell them that you know me. But it also comes with a great responsibility. Because if you get hired and then you work poorly, you're going to disgrace your friend. How many times has that happened, brother? A bunch. See, God's not giving us carte blanche to ask for anything we want. 
The whatever you ask phrase there in verse 13 only occurs when we're praying for what God has revealed in his word. Are you praying this so that God will be glorified? Are you praying this so that God will use your family in a more spectacular way? Are you asking this so that somehow, some way, someone's life is going to be enriched and they'll come to quicker knowledge of Jesus? That's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be praying according to the will of God. And let me tell you something, friends. If it don't honor God, are you listening? Say amen. If you're praying and it don't honor God, don't you tack on in Jesus' name at the end of it. So the next generation must learn from us that faith produces great works. They go hand in hand. But they must also learn that faith produces powerful prayer. And they're going to learn that from us. But if you believe in Jesus, he said, you'll have a faith that produces loving obedience. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. In the teachings of Jesus, love is always the beginning and the end. If you love him, you'll do what he says, plain and simple. We don't obey the Lord because we want to get something out of it. We don't obey the Lord because we want to do great work so that people will see us. We don't obey the Lord because we want our prayers answered, like some kid praying before Christmas. We obey the Lord because we love him. And you love him because he first loved you. And we must teach our children to love the Lord. We must teach them to love the Lord with all their hearts. See, to, to keep the commandments means that we find great value in what Jesus taught. It means that we treasure what Jesus taught. It means that we guard them in our hearts, all the things that he taught us. And most importantly, it means that we do them because we love him. You see, Christianity is not about obeying a bunch of precepts and rules and regulations. Christianity is choosing to love Jesus. The obeying comes from the love. And that love will create faith. And that faith will in turn produce great works. It will produce powerful prayers. And it will produce an absolute obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's just what happens. And we're the ones responsible. Every one of us in this room are the ones responsible to lead and to teach the next generation to love Jesus. But first things first. Have you chosen to love Jesus as your Savior? Have you chosen 
to love Jesus as the Lord of your life? If you have, I celebrate with you. If you haven't, today's your day. If you have, I want you to know that that comes with a cost. Your love of Jesus as Savior and Lord comes with a cost. You are now responsible to pass what you know onto the next generation. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. You are responsible. Our Christians in Action children's ministry is the method this church uses to pass the love of Jesus on to the next generation. The question is, will you take up your responsibility? Or maybe I should ask this question. Do you love Jesus? Because love produces faith and faith produces great works and powerful prayers and absolute obedience. As I mentioned earlier, we have made CIA simpler and easier than it ever has been. We're changing the role of the teaching and putting it on my shoulders. I'll be doing the teaching and the teachers, the individual classroom leaders, will be reinforcing the truth that was taught. They'll also be teaching the kids to pray. They'll be teaching the kids the memory verses. And they'll also be teaching kids how to apply the truth of the lesson to their lives. They get a, a four-page leaflet that they help walk the children through and fill out. And after two, after two class periods, they get to take that home. So now what's happening is the leaders who are reinforcing the lesson taught, they're helping the kids to know it, but then the kids are taking it home to mom and dad. Amen? So now the home is being infiltrated with the love of Jesus. So we made it as easy as we know how to do. Wednesdays, we serve a meal, 5.15 to 5.30. 15 minutes to open, open the, the class period. Then they'll either have time with me, they'll have time in class, or they'll have time having a little bit of fun. Maybe some rec time or craft time. But I'm telling you guys, every one of us is responsible. Or the next generation may be the last. So my prayer is for you today is if you, you love Jesus but you've not accepted Him as your Savior and Lord that you wouldn't wait another day. That you'd let today be your day. Behold, today is the day of salvation for you. But for you church members, I pray that you'll realize that this responsibility is God-given. And that during this decision time, you'll come forward and you'll just sign your name, give us your phone number, we'll contact you, find out how you want to serve and where you want to serve. 
And you'll become an instrument in the hand of God for the next generation. So the minute the music starts, you just come forward and I pray we fill up that whole sheet. Because it's not just my responsibility. It's not just the select group of ladies that have been doing it for ages. Responsibility. All of our responsibility. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this tremendous privilege of raising up the next generation for your glory. But Lord, we don't make any qualms about it. It's a tough responsibility as well. Father, I pray that you have 